there. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I cover the White House. And I'm Juana Summers. I cover politics. So no politician who runs for office does it by themselves. There's always this massive team behind that one person whose name is on the ticket because it takes a lot of support and it takes a lot of money to run for office. For a lot of women candidates over um, the past few decades, one of the most important teams that they can get an endorsement from and get buy-in from is Emily's List. But a lot of people listening may not know what Emily's List is. Juana, can you explain what Emily's List is? Yeah, so Emily's List is one of the biggest fundraising powerhouses on the left. It was founded back in 1985 by a group of women, and it specifically and explicitly supports Democratic women in politics who back abortion rights. It's called Emily's List, and you might think there's a woman named Emily out there who must be the founder, but Emily actually stands for Early Money is Like Yeast. At the time that the organization was founded, there were only 12 Democratic women in the House. A Democratic woman had never been elected to the Senate without succeeding her husband. And in the 30-some years since Emily's List was founded, it has been a force that has helped empower so many women in politics, not just with money, but also helping them put together all those building blocks that you need to run a successful and viable campaign. Okay, I really did not know that Emily's list was not named after someone named Emily. I'm I'm just going to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> that is news for me. Um but but this organization, which has been around for a long time, it just had a change in leadership, a leader who we're going to talk to today thanks to you, Juana, and it comes at a time when all eyes are on women running for office, uh, and because there are some pretty key issues for women that uh, could potentially be on the ballot this uh, midterm. Yeah, that's right. So today we're talking to LaFonza Butler, who is the new head of Emily's List. She is the first woman of color, the first black woman to lead this organization. And she is taking over Emily's list at a really high stakes time for Democrats. They are staring down what could be a really difficult midterm election in 2022. And this is also happening during a really big fight over abortion rights that looms large and that has energized a number of Democratic women. LaFonza Butler, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Juana. I am excited to be here and and to be a part of this conversation with you and I. So you've been a union leader. You've been a Democratic strategist for a long time. You worked on a presidential campaign last cycle. Can you tell us what made you want to run Emily's List? (laughs) You know, it's the the same thing that made me want to wake up every single day and and do those other jobs. Uh, Honestly, Juana, I have a seven-year-old daughter. Um, Her name's Nyla. And um, every day waking up, not different than any other parent, um, wanting to make sure that what I was doing with my life and time um, was a demonstration to her about what she can be, but also um, every day making sure that I'm creating a better space and world in which for her to live. And so as I was thinking about the, the Emily's List role, I remembered that her class uh, had had her kindergarten class had had a mock election around about the same time as the presidential race. And 
Nyla was the only kid in her kindergarten class to vote for the turtle. There are lots of different animals that were, of course, running. Um, you know, I think there was a bear and a wolf and everybody had their own reason. Uh, all of the candidates had their own reason to run. Uh, and Nyla was the only one who voted for the turtle because he said he wanted to be fair to everybody. Um, and so as I was thinking about the Emily's List role, I, I thought about the world that my daughter wanted to be a part of, a world that was fair to everybody. Um, and so choosing to do the work at Emily's List um, really does give me the opportunity to show her all that she can be, help to create a better world for her. Uh, and I think most importantly, help to create the world that she wants for herself. You are taking over this organization at a really critical moment. When I talk to women, particularly on the left, there's frankly a lot of overt fear, a lot of concern about what many of them describe as the most widespread threat to abortion rights since Roe. And that's something that's so central to Emily's List's mission. So I wonder if you can talk about how you see that landscape and that challenge. I've spent my entire career doing hard things. And this, yes, is an is incredibly difficult moment. And the abortion rights and a woman's right to make her own healthcare decisions with her family and her doctor is an issue that is supported by a majority of Americans. And so I think what we, uh, what Emily's List has uh, in its favor is, is the will of the American people. The right wing has really been telling us exactly what their intentions were as it relates to Roe. For years now, it's their intention to overturn uh, to overturn Roe. Emily's List and other organizations have been the, the canary in the coal mine on, on this issue. And so I think it's um, going to be an issue that will engage um, women voters uh, in particular. Um, I think that you know, we're going to have to make sure that, that everyone is clear, um, publicly clear on what their position is um, on this issue. Uh, and uh, and I think uh, that that, you know, we are going to be able to continue to turn out Democratic voters to support Democratic pro-choice women, Emily's List candidates, uh, because they're tired of seeing rights taken away. In in some ways, it, it seems like with with these court decisions coming out with the makeup of the Supreme Court right now part that's where part of the concern is that a lot of this a lot of the decisions seem to have in some ways have already been made obviously you can have changes with congress i guess what specifically is emily's list going to be looking for from candidates or the arguments that they are going to be making to voters for why they should vote now when it seems like these things are already happening and it's not clear what can be done about them in this moment if they if they are concerned about abortion rights. Well, you you, you know that these uh, led these pieces of legislation that are making their ways to the courts start at the state legislature. Uh, and so a way to uh, ensure that these are uh, issues that are that are being um, that these rights are being protected is to make sure that, that Emily's list continues to and all of us really continue to pay attention to the legislature and who we're electing uh, at the state and local level. 
yes, the federal government is important and um, whether it's the and the attacks on our rights, the, the rights to, to make decisions about our body, the attacks on our voting rights, that is happening with governors and state legislators. And so Emily's List specifically is going to be focused on um, engaging and, and, and investing the resources um, to, to win at the state and local level so that these are cases that don't wind their way uh, uh, to the courts. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about some of the biggest criticisms facing Emily's List. Support for NPR and the following message come from Verizon. Director of Corporate Social Responsibility Alex Cervello shares how Verizon is helping schools bring technology into the classroom and working to move the world forward for all. We wanted to ensure that students and teachers have access to innovative learning tools and the proper training to successfully integrate them into the classroom whether that be in person or in a hybrid setting. To learn more, go to citizenverizon.com. And we're back. There has been some criticism of Emily's List uh, that they haven't done enough to support women of color. Uh, and, And at times, there has been a bit of a divide really where black women in particular, um, but, but women of color overall have felt like they've been left out of organizations like Emily's list and that these organizations have focused more on white women, you know, just Mm -hmm. being frank about it. Look, I appreciate the the frankness. Um, I appreciate the criticism and, it is true that we that all organizations can do better. I have only been a black woman for the 42 years that I have been on this earth. Uh, and so I um, know that there are real difficulties and in, 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 in challenges in being a, a black woman who is who has the courage to put herself up for consideration for public office and and, and frankly experiencing daily criticism um, while doing it. I accept the criticism. I also accept the challenge that the organization has done um, not well enough um, to have our our women candidates and women candidates of color feel like Emily's List is a home for them. And look, under my leadership, one of the things that that I feel like is critical is that every woman feels like Emily's List is their political home. um, And that's what we're going to be committed to doing. Many people may not know that you were a senior strategist on then-candidate Kamala Harris's campaign before she joined the Biden ticket, before she became vice president. And that is very closely tied to the work that you'll be doing with Emily's List. So I am personally curious, what did that experience teach you Mm. about women in power, women in politics, the work that you're setting out to do? What I was able to see uh, in any number of the races in which um, I supported her, and particularly as a senior advisor in her run for president, um, is the sheer magnitude of misinformation and disinformation that happens online. The attacks of her of, about her in particular were quite ferocious in describing her character, um, her race. Um, and in and, and other you know, areas of sort of who she was as a person. And so what it taught me in terms of my preparate, preparing me for this role at, at Emily's List um, is the we can't ignore um, the, the disinformation that exists out there. 
Um, we can't, we should not strategically, we should not want to amplify it. At the same time, we've got to be able to, to tell voters who our candidates are and, and, and tell them who they are early. Kamala Harris, as a Black woman, the attacks on her, I'm not, not saying that obviously any vice president will be criticized, but there are very specific attacks on her as a woman and certainly as a Black woman. And even you saw this with Stacey Abrams questions about qualifications, questions about, like, there's a very real thing that comes with Black women where they are questioned on their substance, their womanhood, and all of these other uh, really nasty ways, as you were talking about. I I guess part of it is how do you overcome built-in racism? I mean, which is a fact. Look, built-in racism is is a fact. Um, And to to say that we're going to overcome it in an electoral campaign, I think is um, um, wishful thinking. Um, what I think we we have to do with our candidates is, again, make sure that they're trained and equipped um, to push through the those kinds of of attacks. Look, Stacey Abrams is another great example um, of, of the, those kinds of nasty attacks. And they uh, used what they thought would be a winning issue, a winning divisive issue. And, and the fact that she had filed for bankruptcy uh, in support of her family and, and, and those other sort of financial issues. And what strategically smart um, thing that she did in her campaign was to make sure that she, that is, yes, that is who she is. And yes, that is also the story of many other Georgians, is also the story of many other um, working families who had to, you know, make those kinds of choices in order to be able to, to provide for our families and, and do the things that, that are necessary. And so that's tactically and strategically in campaigns. That, that I think, is how we push through. And those attacks, yes, they come fast and, and, and nasty at, at women and Black women in particular, uh, and, and making sure that we run smart campaigns, that we do the work, that we engage authentic, authentically with voters. Those are the ways in which um, I've seen um, Black women in particular overcome those kinds of challenges and, and be successful, whether it's Stacey Abrams, Vice President Harris or, you know, Supervisor Holly Mitchell in L.A., um, Black women who've seen those attacks, who've engaged authentically um, and and went on to be incredibly successful. All right. We're going to have to leave it there. LaFonza Butler, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you all for having me. Thanks to your your listeners. uh, and, And I look forward to being able to talk with you all again. All right, that's a wrap for today. We will be back in your feeds tomorrow. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I cover the White House. And I'm Juana Summers. I cover politics. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.